I am just grateful that we are here five years standing and it's like five years ago I was here and we were it was we were having our first like service in this room in this space and it is it is just a, a gift from the Lord some of you are here from the very beginning um, some of you have been through different phases of what this church has looked like including a phase when this church was shut down and we weren't even sure we were going to come back and just to be here standing after five years is just so incredibly beautiful. And in spite of some of the tragedies spiritually um, that I have been encountering um, from the res- as the result of us being gone for so long um, and us now coming back and kind of, like I explained last week, sorting through the rubble, uh, Jesus is still in control and building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you didn't have a chance to listen to last Sunday's message. I really want to encourage you at some point, even this week to go back and listen to it. It's really kind of a foundational piece. You'll still understand the message today, but everything is being built off. Last week, we started a five week series that we're calling the inspired church. And we're calling it that not because we're named inspired church, but because the church that Jesus is building is the church that we read about in the scriptures. It is the inspired word of God that tells us who the church is and what the church is to accomplish on the earth. And how many of you know that sometimes we need to regather, especially after a long season of being disembodied and gather and reorient our hearts around what God says the church is versus what you may have experienced or seen. And so it's just such a beautiful message that we are the ecclesia, a community of confessors gathering together to declare the glories of the one who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And today, as we continue on, as we talked about the identity of the church last Sunday, today we'll talk the work of the church, the mission of the church Have you ever wondered, why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? Is the church called to maybe protect the planet? (laughs) Are we like God's cosmic environmentalists, you know, uh, uh, protecting his creation? Or is the church called to build hospitals, establish orphanages, and provide humanitarian relief? Like, that's got to be what the church is called to, right? Or is the church called to intervene against oppressive regimes and governments and even pick up arms and wage war on behalf of those who have been oppressed. Is that what the church is called to do? Is that why the church exists? You know, as a pastor, being a representative of the church, in other words, a lot of times people look at me as a representation of the church. I want you to know that question has caused a lot of tension and angst in my heart. And that question, what, what is the mission of the church? Why does the church exist has actually um, caused what I would call performance pressure. Mm-hmm. Performance pressure. To try to be all things and do all things. And can I be honest? Social media doesn't help. Social media never seems to help, to be honest. Um, but, you know, people have told me, and I'll just get to use this as an example. You know, Pastor... You know, when they say that, they know they, they're not just calling you Philip anymore. Like, they expect you to talk for the church. Pastor, like, 
why haven't you posted about sex trafficking? Like, do you know the evils of that? Like, have you seen the statistics? Do you know the horrors that happen behind the scenes in the dark? Others, you know, pastor, what about abortion? Why haven't you said anything about that? Right? Like people call that the greatest crime against humanity of our generation. Unborn babies being slaughtered in the womb. Pastor, why aren't you saying anything? How about racism and the fact that black lives matter to God? Pastor, you can't be silent. And then when I finally post, somebody else sends me a message. Says, Pastor, I saw your post about black lives. Don't you know that all lives matter to God, Pastor? What about blue lives, Pastor? Have you read the website, Pastor? You know what that means, Pastor? I mean, I've been called progressive by conservatives, and I've been called conservative by the liberals on the same day. Now, I'm not saying that. I don't want you to feel bad for me. This is, I don't want your sympathy. I just want to make an illustration. With so much pain in the world, with so much division and evil that has been brought on us by our sin. What is the church supposed to do? Right? I mean, where does the church even start? Right? I mean, just pick a cause. There are so many. Like, what are we to do? Where are we to start? Where do we even begin? And, and who gets to decide? I mean, the, does the mission of the church, is it decided on by the leadership? Maybe the membership gets to vote on the mission of the church. Maybe that's how we determine what the mission of the church is. And the question becomes, does the church's mission ever shift? Does it ever change based on the circumstances of the time? Why does the church exist? I'm going to give you a foundational key that I think will help us uh, stay focused. And here's what I want you to know. The mission of the church is derived from the mission of God. The mission of the church is derived from the mission of God. You see, what determines the church's mission is not the pain of the world, but the plan of God. And you see, before the heavens and the earth were created in all eternity past, the Trinity agreed among each other to predetermine a plan to redeem the world. Did you know that? And did you know that the Trinity agreed? And as a result, the Father predetermined to send the Son on a mission to save the world from sin. And the Son predetermined to send his disciples to proclaim the good news of that salvation. And they knew that this mission would be impossible for the church. And so the Father and the Son in eternity past predetermined that they would send the church the Holy Spirit who would empower us to be on mission. 
In fact, this is what mission literally means. The Latin word for mission is literally sent out. And you know where it comes from? It comes from a Greek word called apostello. Sounds familiar, like apostles. Apostello, it means to send out. I love what Pastor Timothy Keller says. He said, God doesn't merely send the church in mission. God is in mission. And the church must join him. The church doesn't just have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. So last week, we defined the fundamental identity of the church as the ecclesia of God or those who have been called out by God. And today, we'll define the fundamental work or mission of the church as those who have been sent out by God. Now, I promise you those aren't contradictory because the Lord who calls his church also sends his church. And so we gather and then we scatter as the people of God. The ecclesia of God becomes apostolon for his glory. And so what are we sent out to do? I want to answer that question this morning. Let's pray. Jesus. I need you. We need you. Uh, Spirit, open up our hearts and our minds and minister to all those in this room, people that have come in here to hear your word, to hear a word for you, from you, for them. And so I pray that I would get out the way and that you would get all honor and all glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am entitling the message this morning as the mission of Jesus's church, the mission of Jesus's church. You see, last week we talked about the confession of Christ being the foundation of the church. You see, if the confession of Christ in Matthew 16 is the constitution of the church, then the command of Christ found in Matthew 28 is the commission of the church. You see, in Matthew 28, and we're gonna go there momentarily, Jesus enlists his disciples. He gives them their orders as he prepares to leave this earth and ascend into heaven. And I love this, and you might have heard this before because it's been used so many times, but I absolutely love this. I want you to know that we do not call this section of scripture the great suggestion as if it were optional. But it is called the great commission of the church because the mission of the church is not an option. Amen. But despite this obvious imperative, many churches and its members have relegated mission to occasional offerings. Or magnets on your refrigerator. Not a lot of people laughed. Their first service, a lot of people laughed. They knew what I was talking about. So I feel like I need to explain what that means. You see, back in the day, uh, in different churches, uh, missionaries, usually really tired missionaries, would come like once a year. They were tired. They had no money. And they were pleading for money from the churches. And what they would do is they would preach that Sunday, collect an offering, and then they would leave you with these like little pictures. You could either put one in the wallet, but then they got a little more creative and created these magnets. 
And what these magnets were pictures of the missionary and their family. You were supposed to put it on your refrigerator. And every time you see it, it's supposed to remind you of those who are in the nations on mission. Unfortunately, the church has relegated missions to refrigerator magnets or overseas mission trips that happen once a year. And really, for most people, end up just being a bucket list. But Jesus told his disciples, and this is where we're going, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus told his disciples, he said this, all authority. I love that he started with that. He says, I have been authorized as the one who carries all authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Right, not just in the heavens, but all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So for the rest of our time together, I want to simply describe the mission of Jesus's church to you in five, five verbs. Four of them occur um, in this particular uh, passage. And the five verbs are this, go, make, baptize, teach, and plant. Matter of fact, is it up there for you? Can we repeat that together? Are you ready? Let's do it. Go. Make, baptize, teach, plant. One more time. Go. Make, baptize, teach, plant. And I like to add and repeat. <laughs> it's a bonus. So Jesus commissions his church to go. Amen? Jesus commissions his church to go. Did you know that the church is not just called to gather on Sundays, but the church is also called after the gathering to scatter on Mondays, to scatter on Tuesdays, to scatter on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We gather and we scatter as the body of Christ. And when we gather on Sundays, we gather to worship the Lord together. Last week we talked about when the body of confessors come to glorify Jesus, literally we experience a foretaste of heaven. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right now we are glimpsing heaven in a limited way yet it is here. You see, when we gather on Sundays... We gather to worship the Lord. Here, we should be exhorted. We should be encouraged. Here, we should be built up. How many of you want to know that the devil and the uh, follies of the weak and the weights of the world weigh heavy on us? And so we walk into this room and we exhort and worship and encourage. We build each other up. 
but we also equip each other to leave the gathering to be lights in a dark and dying world. And I got to be clear about this. The institution of the church is not what is being sent out. It's the individual organisms that make up the church that go. The institution doesn't go. You go. The living, breathing, individual building blocks and stones is built on the cornerstone. Once we gather, we scatter. You go. And inspire family. Let me just say this. Five years old, we will never be all that God has called us to be if we never grow beyond come and see to go and be. We'll never be, and you'll never be, the church that God wants us to be if we never go beyond the come and see into the go and be. And I feel like churches and individuals, we're in like a perpetual state of immaturity. Come and see, come and see, gather, gather, gather. And some of us don't even get that right. You know, I really, man, when Roger read those, those texts, man, it was a couple of months now, it just hit me so hard. Apostle Paul's like, I can't even go on to mature things because we're still in bottles. Like we're still struggling just to gather. We're, we're not even coming and seeing. Like it's an occasional see, but we're still struggling to gather. It's like, okay, once you get the gather down, then the come and see. Now it's time to go and be. Like how can we be the light? You see, when a church ignores Jesus' command to go, it becomes like stagnant waters. Stagnant waters stink. Do you know that? Did you know stagnant waters is the birthing ground of bacteria and parasites? Did you know that it's also the preferred breeding ground of mosquitoes? And you know it attracts rodents and insects. It's so interesting what stagnant waters. And I can only imagine the same goes for a stagnant church. And the thing about mosquitoes that breed, they not only breed in stagnant waters, but they drink from the stagnant waters. And as a result, they soak up that stagnant bacteria and then they spread it in a kind of evangelism. And what I think that stagnant churches do is not only do they bring in mosquitoes that drink from the bacteria, but instead of spreading the gospel... They spread all kinds of spiritual bacteria and misrepresent the church. Gossip, lying, call yourself a Christian, yet live life in a totally different way. Was it Gandhi that says, I love your Christ, I love your Jesus, but I don't love, don't look like, you don't look like your Jesus. I got it all messed up, but the idea behind it all was like, man, I love Jesus. I just don't like those who carry his name. And so how do we overcome stagnant waters? Watch this. Unless a flow is introduced to still waters, unless a flow flows through a stagnation of waters, unless there is a flow 
stagnant waters that remain there, you ready, become hazardous to the environment around you. Can I say it's hard to plant a church in the Bay Area? Can I say that in the Bay Area, people despise the Bible? Am I the only one here that knows that? It's true. And if you're not giving your life to Christ, you're an enemy of God. It's just the word. But can I also say that a lot of times we like to use that as a reason why we fail? And many times... It's not necessarily that that keeps churches from growing and planting in cities. It's because the cities have already smelt stagnant churches. And because they have the stench of still waters, why would they want to bring in more? I've heard people say, if that's what a church is, we don't want no more in this city. I've been reading a book. And I love to, it's called The Church by Edmund Clowney. It's a great book. And I'd love to read you an excerpt about mission to you that I think will be impactful. He says this, the congregation that ignores mission will atrophy and soon find itself shattered by internal dissension. It will be, it will inevitably begin to lose its own young people, disillusioned by hearing the gospel trumpeted every Sunday for those who never march. What is true of the congregation? Are you ready? It's also true of a Christian home. If a family fails to seek to gather friends and neighbors to Christ in hospitality and quiet witness, the children of the family will scatter. We fail to bring up children in the future of the Lord if we fail to involve involve them in our efforts to gather others to the Savior. Are you challenged? I was. Jesus doesn't just call his church to go, to move, to flow. But he says go and he commissions them to make. Amen. Jesus says, go and make. Jesus commissions his church to make. And I want you to get this. Notice what Jesus didn't say to make. He didn't command us to go and invite people to church. That's not the command. Like, hey, go into all the world and invite all the nations to your home church. He didn't say that. He didn't command us to go and get people to pray a prayer. He didn't command us to go and pass out tracts. And don't get me wrong, all of those things are beautiful and good things, okay? But that's not what he commanded us. Can I get a little uncomfortable? Thank you. All I need is one. You know that. You know that. All I need is one invitation. I'm going to get a little uncomfortable, okay? He didn't tell us to go and buy a house. The last time I checked, when I read Matthew 28, go and buy a house and live the American dream was not in the Great Commission. He didn't tell us to go find a good career. He didn't go tell us to find a good job and make good money so that you can retire in a real nice place and live the rest of your lives in good, healthy, fun pleasure. He didn't say that. You might have got that from another book, but you didn't get that from Matthew 28. Never in the scriptures does God ever tell his people to go and be comfortable. Here's my burden. 
Here's my pastoral burden. Some of us are so consumed by our own mission, by our own vision of what the good life is. You know, you have your own book that described that to you. It's not this one. We're so consumed by our mission and vision of what the good life is that we make little to no room for the mission and vision of God. This is idolatry. This is idolatry. And can I say this? There's nothing wrong with wanting a house, you know? Like, some of you are like, some of you are like, man, gosh, I'll never buy a house again, you know? Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I'll never, you know, won't get a good job, okay? Uh, I want you to know none of those things are bad and evil. They're not. They're really not. But idolatry can even make good things. When good things become like God thinks, when good becomes your God, And I'll be honest, I have idols. We all have idols. Our hearts are idol factories. We're, con- we're idol makers. We're constantly producing idols, God. We're pumping out idols nonstop. I don't care how long you've been in Christ, there are idols, there are things you desire, things you want, things you pursue. And you'll pursue it, desire it at all costs. In fact, in a couple of months, we're actually gonna do a whole sermon series on smashing idols, identifying idols. We all have them. I have them. Guys, I want a house. (laughs) I live in the Bay Area. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Like, I didn't get into this industry. Let's just say this. You know what I mean? I didn't get into the pastor. And again, I don't want your sympathy. God called me. I didn't get into this industry to be comfortable. You know what I mean? And get a nice house. Becca, I'm sure you didn't either. By any stretch of the imagination. Like, if my flesh had a vote, like, it would have been close. It is close. I struggle. I struggle. I struggle being called here in the Bay Area. I want to enjoy the finer things, right? I know firsthand. I know firsthand. It's not easy. It's not easy. And sometimes I give it up, go to corporate America, pull a decent job, figure it out, make it happen. You don't have to sermon prep every Sunday. get lost in the numbers because my identity is in the numbers. You know, how many people were, you know what I mean? All that stuff. And again, this is, this is, please don't feel bad for me. I love what I'm just telling you. Like, I I just want you to understand. Like, I'm not up here just floating. Like everything's okay. But my hope is secure. My hope is secure. My retirement is secure. I may not have a kind of 401k or a Roth IRA or stocks or all of these things that are offered. But I want to know, I want you to know that my security in Christ, my anchor holds, my hope is in Christ alone. And I'm not advocating now. I guess I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to do anything. Be smart and wise. But the reality is at the end of the day, I am anchored in the master's hand. Whatever he wants is for me. My eternity is set, y'all. And let me tell you, in eternity, it's going to be great. The retirement plan that God has for those who call him uh, their God is beautiful. It's like nothing you've ever seen. 
My hope is secure. My retirement is sure. I've learned to be content like the Apostle Paul in all things, whether in plenty or in little. And I trust the master when the master said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. What profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul? I'll have all of eternity to enjoy the finer things of life. But for now, while the Lord tarries, he has commissioned me to go and make disciples. I think it was John Piper preached a sermon, pretty famous sermon, and he compared a couple that retired in a beautiful location, did their time, made their money, had their dream retirement to a couple impoverished on the mission field. And on the cover of magazines, what you will see celebrated is that couple living the good life, their big house, big yard. But you won't see anything about that couple impoverished on the mission field working to build God's church. And John Piper says, what a, he goes, you want to know what's sad? Not the couple impoverished, but the couple full of joy because they used their whole life to build their own kingdom. That's the true tragedy. Jesus said, Go. Make disciples. Disciples. He said, go and make little learners. <laughs> followers. Right? They, back in the day, they used to call the followers of Jesus the followers of the way. I love that. Christian is like too, like, labelish. But to call yourself a follower of the way means you actually do something. You walk in that way. But here's the question. How can we make a disciple if we ourselves are not a disciple? Right? How can we become disciples if we don't even know what a disciple looks like? <laughs> and that's why I believe the church of Jesus Christ. That's why I believe inspired churches here. Um, we're here to make disciples and to provide for you a space and a place to exhort you, encourage you, rebuke you even. To look more like Christ. And so we're developing as a church five critical questions that one can answer. Think of it as a checklist, even though I hate checklists. A checklist of five questions, five things you can ask yourself to determine whether or not you are in a healthy place as a disciple. To determine if you are a disciple of Christ. I'm going to read these questions to you. And they all flow out of the scriptures. But here they are. Number one, are you being transformed by truth? Are you being transformed by truth? What does that mean? Do you feel yourself growing in passion for this word? 
And we have a lot of passions, right? So we know what, I don't have to break down what it means to be passionate about something, but do you feel yourself growing in passion for this word? Do you find yourself seeking to grow in the knowledge of his word? Did you know every Christian is called to be a kind of theologian? I'm not talking about your PhD, but someone who digs into the text and thirsts for the true understanding of who God is as revealed through the scriptures. Are you craving the truths of God's word? You ready for this? And are those truths producing fruit? Are you growing more disgusted with sin and more in love with holiness? I'm not saying you're perfect and I'm not saying you don't fall, but are you finding yourself growing more and more disgusted with sin and more and more in love with the righteousness of Christ? Number two. Are you growing in spiritual families? Did you know we're not formed alone? We need each other. No matter how much we get on each other's nerves. In fact, you need that one person in this church that totally bothers you. You all, well, maybe not everybody. Some of you got that one. In fact, you came to this service because they go to the nine. The one you avoid, Right? The one that didn't invite you to that place you wanted to get invited to. The one you don't get along. You need that person because that person's existence in this church conforms you a little bit more into the image of Christ. Wow. Humbles you. Calls you to forgive. Convicts you. The word of God is spoken and because that's there, it speaks to that. You're, oh. wow. And what you're feeling is the molding and shaping of a disciple to look more and more like the Savior. We're formed alone. We're not formed alone. We need the people of God. Don't we need the people of God? Don't we need them to hold us accountable when we sin? But then not allow us to stay there, but restore us? We don't need someone to look down at us. We need someone to pick us up. Yes, I'm in my sin. You got me. I'm here, but I'm restored. We need people of God not just to hold us accountable when we sin, but to restore us, pick us back up. Love us with the truth of God's forgiving grace. We need the church. We need people to encourage us when we are weak, to cry with us when we're sad, to rejoice with us when we're glad, to pray for us at all times. We need mothers and fathers in the faith to pass down their years of wisdom. Come on, single adult. Don't make it look like you're the only one that ever experienced this. That's a lie of the enemy. There are women and men here willing to share their story. We need mothers and fathers in the faith. Older men teach to younger men. And older women teach to younger women. And can I just say, if you are a mom and dad in this church, I just want to tell you right now, the lie of the enemy doesn't tell you that this church is just too young for you. I get it. I get it, it's tough. But you know what? A generation needs moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas who've been there, who've done that. And please, young people, don't disqualify gathering with people who aren't you in your space. Well, I need more singles. No, you don't. You need men and women who have been through the darkness and battled through the trauma and who overcome it in Christ alone. Yes, now my second point. You not only need moms and dads, but you do need friends. 
You need peers. You need people going through it right now the same way you are. You need those places and spaces. You need people to talk to, to spur you on, brothers and sisters, peers. You have your mentors and then you have your friends and they both spur you on in different ways. Because I want to tell you, your friends in the world are ready to stir you on and tempt you into sin. But your friends in the church should be spurring you on and, and bringing you to righteousness. That thing just doesn't want to stay up there. God said, go off your notes. Let's just over-spiritualize this together. Amen. Is that okay? Can we do that here? <laughs> Man. And you know, I, I just, you know, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage one another. Uh, don't be afraid to hold people accountable. Don't be afraid to do it. Thank you. Don't be afraid to hold people accountable. Don't be afraid to call people out. Like there's love in that. One of my frustrations is when I hear people from the church gathering together just so they can sin. Right? It's like, man, I expect that to happen when you the temptation to hit you, when you go, gather with others who don't know Christ. But when you, there's a group of Christians, Roman Spartans, they all gather together. And I find out, man, they had a big party and everybody was drunk. Unreal. Spur each other on. Yes. Stir each other up. And yes, we fall. And yes, we fail. But my word. Like you're supposed to be here for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, hold each other accountable. We need mothers and fathers. We need brothers and sisters, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah. I got to get on my notes, man. It's just not good. Number three. Question number three. Are you helping build up the church? I can already hear it now. What do you mean? You want me to serve on Sundays, Pastor Phil? <laughs> right? Right? Isn't it funny how we all have scripts? You have all brought your hurts from previous places, and they're already there. And so the moment something is said, it's all that stuff. And I get it. We've been hurt, abused, overused. Trust me. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt many different ways. Right. Sit down with me one day. I'll tell you all about it. Question, is the church just a place to get what you need? Right? Or is there a way you're actively using your talents your gifts, your treasures to build up the church in the area that God has called you to for his glory. Ask yourself, do I go to church or am I the church? Number four. Are you telling the story? What's the story? You know, we have a great story to tell. It's better than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's better than, you know, all your favorite stories that you love to read. Pastor Roger was here. He'd be like, really? What's better than that? 
And then he would agree it's the gospel of Jesus Christ in which all of these stories ultimately are predicated on because it's the truth of love and someone coming down to save and sacrifice for another. Is evangelism just something the institution does? You know what I mean? Have you ever been to churches or whatever where evangelism happens, like when they have like a day of evangelism? It's like, hey, you know, next week we're going to have evangelism and God bless that church trying to stir people on. But it's like we evangelize twice a year. And we only do it when the church stirs us up and creates an event. Or are you finding ways to engage the lost with the love of Jesus? And are you learning to grow in communicating that beautiful story? You know, there's two stories. Do you know that? The church is a two-story church. (laughs) It's number one, built on the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also the story of how that gospel changed your life. And so you have a testimony and you have a gospel. And those two elements render you powerful against the kingdom of darkness. Amen, I'll take that. Somebody has a story. Amen. I want you guys to listen to how a disciple should be maturing, okay? Let me explain. Let's see if you can kind of find yourself in this brief little outline here. The first one I call a babe in Christ. Everyone likes a baby, huh? I'm cute. Right? Oh, right? So cute. I've ever used the teething one in here, joke with you guys. We have some Christians that are like, you know what I mean? Like new parents, you blame teething on everything. The baby's fussy. Oh, she's teething. You know, like, you know, like you just feel so, you feel a kind of way, right? Like, gosh, my baby is a brat, took a loud, like crying, won't stop. And, oh, it's just teething, right? And you're sitting there as a guest, you're like, you know, he's 17, <laughs> right? Like, like he's 10 years old. Like he's, that boy stopped teething when he was like six months, right? He's just teething. Mom, <laughs> you know, dad, I want something to eat, just teething. Y'all know where I'm going with that. That's what it feels like sometimes. We have like perpetual babes in Christ. They're always teething. But let me tell you, when it comes to evangelism, kind of the babe in Christ aspect, the babe in Christ does this. The babe in Christ does this. I live my faith out quietly and I let my actions speak. That's a good place. That's scriptural. Doesn't Jesus say, like, let your light shine before man? Doesn't he say, do good deeds, good works, so that men may see your good works and glorify God in heaven? Isn't that good? Yeah? Amen? That's all good stuff, and we should do that. Babes in Christ would do that. It would do that. But let me talk about an adolescent, someone who's grown kind of beyond that, infancy. An adolescent in Christ says, you know what? Not only, not only am I continuing to do these good deeds, but I invite people to my church so that my pastor can tell them the gospel because Pastor Roger does an amazing job at doing that or Pastor Phil does a great job at doing that. Beautiful stuff. In fact, don't stop inviting people to church. I guess it's a good thing. But you want to see what an adult sounds like? Where the babe is just kind of letting their light shine, just living with integrity, loving on people, Whereas the adolescent is taking a step and saying, hey, you know what, can I pray with you? And you should come check my church out. It's really amazing. Beautiful stuff. 
But the maturation process as we go to the adult is this, is where the adolescent will invite people to church to have the pastor tell them the gospel. The adult will invite people to their home so that they can tell the two story. The story of how their life was a wreck. The story about how their life maybe was great and they had everything, but they had nothing. And a story about the only person that filled everything and the only person that could give them the life that they need beyond this world. The only one that could forgive them of their sin and connect them back to a God that they have felt so distanced from is Jesus. Why don't you come to my house and let's have dinner? And why don't I share that story with you? It's a process. It's a process. Right? No, no shame in where you land. My question is, how long have you been there? And is there a desire to take that next step? Because the mission of Christ Church is to go and make disciples. Amen. Number five. Final question is, is all of that that I just said, all four of those things, is it motivated by love? See that? Like, it, are all of those things telling the story, right? Uh, 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 building up the church, right, right? Right? Finding spiritual family and community. Like, am I doing all those things? And is the reason in which I do all those things being motivated by a genuine love for Jesus? Is the fuel of my activity the gospel? I love this. Building up the church. I want to go back to that. I always tell, well, I don't always, but I tell the team, and I've been telling them lately, you know, worship didn't start at 9 a.m. today. Did you know that? You know, it didn't start at 11 a.m. today, right? It started at 5.30 a.m. when Vince woke up, and he went to go get the U-Haul. And then when he got the U-Haul, he drove the U-Haul all the way down, and he drove it to the storage. And then other men met him there, not with guitars, not with the microphone, but with their hands. And they begin to worship the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. It may not sound like music, but to the ears of the Father and the nose of the Father, it smelled like the aroma of worship. And it may not satisfy the flesh. Let me tell you something. It certainly doesn't satisfy the flesh. But it kills it. And builds the church. But can I say this? If even that is not motivated in love, it's rotten. It's works. Man, it's crazy. You mean I can do all of that and do it for the wrong reasons? Yeah. Yeah. All of that can be a form of works, like a performance in a show. And you become someone that does this for attention, recognition, applause, selfish gain. And so all of that becomes a work, a dead work if it's done out of anything else other than 
the beauty of the sacrifice and work of Jesus Christ. I will build his church because he gave his life for me. And so my work becomes worship. You see that? We have such a poor theology of worship in our churches. And that's because we have labeled that 20 minutes of karaoke. We've called that worship. But our worship is greater than that, bigger than that. Should we be on guard when we're not worshiping? Yes. Are there seasons of rest? Yes. Are there people in this room right now, your prior churches have abused you spiritually? Yes. Do you need time to sit, to mend? What I realize in planting a church, they call them the unchurched, right? Those are people that don't go to church at all. Then they call them the de-churched. Those are people that left the church. And then I realize there's another group called the overchurched. Those are all people that have been in church their whole lives, but they just moving, moving, nonstop, serving, 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 serving. They're kind of like, can I just breathe here for a little bit? Yes. Listen. He has called all of us to go and commit our lives to becoming disciples and making people into disciples. He has called us to go and commit our lives to making people who live and breathe to do the will of Jesus the same way Jesus lived and breathed to do the will of his father. Go and make disciples of all nations. Amen? All nations, by the way. All nations. All tribe, every tribe, every tongue. All nations. And I'm just going to actually say a few things about these last three verbs, and then we're going to wind it down. The last three verbs, if you're staying with me, is baptize, teach, and plant. And repeat, we'll throw that one in there. Jesus commissioned his church to baptize. Now, I'm not going to say much here. My hope is that you're planning to stay with us through this entire series because in two weeks, Pastor Roger is going to come up and talk about the sacraments of the church. I'm going to talk about baptism and the importance of what it means to the church. And so I don't want to jump ahead. I do want to say a few things. I want to say three things. Number one, a baptism class is coming. And so if you're in this room right now and you haven't been dipped, but you love Jesus, like now's your time. This is it. This is it. Dipped, by the way, it just means put in the water. <laughs> this is your time. You love Jesus. You gave your life to him. It's time. It's time. And baptism classes are coming. You could sign up today. You can actually obey the Great Commission, like literally today. Number two, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. Right? It's not like, hey, accept Jesus and then get baptized, and then you're saved, right? It's not Jesus plus works. I am saved by faith alone. I'm saved actually by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by my works. I promise I wouldn't say more, but this is just coming to my head in a previous space, a previous experience. I used to see the baptism classes full, and then we'd baptize, and I wouldn't see those people no more. Like 90% of people got baptized and never come back. And I'd always experienced it. After a couple of years, I started to ask myself, why is it? Like, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with this church? But then I realized everyone is coming in because they believe there's some sort of saving grace in their baptism. And that somehow when you're baptized, now you can do whatever you want. I'm in the church. 
That's kind of a, 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 tra- a Catholic tradition. You're not saved by works. Like if it was about baptism, then Jesus wouldn't have to die. Like his sacrifice is enough. And so can I tell you that baptism doesn't save you? But how about this? Baptism may not justify you, but R.C. Sproul said this, it sanctifies you. It may not be a matter of justification, but it's a matter of sanctification. Why? Because baptism is a command. And so to not get baptized is to be disobedient to the words of Jesus. And so either he's Lord or he's not. There's just something about baptism that just weirds people out. Like, and I get it, you know, it's kind of like a sacred moment. It's a public affair. But man, baptism is an outward expression of what you've already done in your heart. Like the hard part's already done. You laid your life down. Okay, I promise I'm not gonna go on there. Jesus commissions his church to baptize and he commissions his church to, treat, to teach. You guys ready? Can I tell you what he doesn't commission the church to teach? He doesn't call the church to teach a kind of prosperity gospel, right? What is that? The kind of teaching that describes faith as some kind of spiritual force that can attract wealth, health, and the good life, that if you just give, you know, you sow this seed, Right? Like if you just give this amount and God's going to double it and give it back to you and you're going to get this amount of money. Like that is not what God has called us to teach. He's not called us to teach the therapeutic gospel. Amen. Or the kind of gospel that tells you everything you need to overcome is in you. You have it all. That everything inside of you, you have the ability to overcome. That is a therapeutic gospel uh, uh, meant to build up your self-esteem into thinking that you can do all things. But the gospel tells us there's nothing inside of me. I cannot help myself. I am dead in my sin. And no matter how much I try, willpower is not enough. I need something outside of me. I need to stop trying to save myself and humble myself and say, I can't. I need Jesus. Amen. He hasn't called us to preach moralism. Moralism. What is moralism? It's a teaching that teaches that you can earn your way into heaven by being a good person that you can checklist your way to heaven, that when you get to those pearly gates, there's gonna be these things that we're weighing, these ways, right? And then what's gonna be put on is your good works and your bad works, and, and if you got more good works than bad, you're in. That's a real dangerous thing to believe. That's a very arrogant thing to think that you'll ever have good works that will outweigh your bad. It's not a checklist. Disciples of Christ are those who have been taught to obey the full counsel of God. All that Christ has taught. Grace and repentance. See that? Purpose and the cross. Man, I get so tired of listening to those purpose messages. Right? God's got a plan and purpose for your life and your relationship. And if you just do these things and apply these biblical principles at your workplace, man, you're going to have a great, good life. And that's becomes a primary thing. 
And yes, those things can happen. There are beautiful principles for living out your life. Good marriages, living in singleness, feeling fulfilled. Like there's good principles in this text. But that is not the ultimate goal of this text. You are not the ultimate uh, topic of this text. There is a plan and purpose for your life. You want to know what it is? To die. (laughs) Jesus said, anyone who follows me, what did he say? Pick up your cross. Anybody, anybody wants to be my disciple. You must pick up your cross and follow me. You know what the cross is? The cross is literally the thing that's going to kill you. Like you're going to be executed on that thing. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish this message. And I actually thought it would be really, um, it would make sense to finish this message on the mission of the church to talk about the mission and values of Inspire Church, right? You know that there's like the global church, Amen? We're all one. Amen, you guys with me? The global church, we're all one. Church in China, church in Afghanistan, the church in America, all the way through, there's this global church, but then there are local churches, these individual churches. And that inspired church is one. And so I thought it would be great to remind you today, if you're a leader in this building, if you're a pastor in this building, if you're a member in this building, if you're just visiting today, Wherever you're at, what a beautiful opportunity to be reminded of why we exist. Why five years ago, five years ago, and a little bit longer than that, and behind the scene preview services that we went into a little dance studio, like 45 people where chairs were falling apart with no sound system, nowhere to go, unsure where we were going to go, what we were going to do, who it was going to be. We didn't know that some of you would be here, but we prayed for you anyway. Five years later, still strong after a pandemic to the glory of God. His grace is sufficient. If we close tomorrow, it's okay. If God sees that fit, that's fine. But we have made it this far. And so I thought it would be beautiful to pair the mission of this church with the mission of the church. And I want you to see that those are not two different things. And so I'd just like to take a moment to remind you of our mission. It's going to be real simple. But our mission is this. We exist to inspire gospel-centered disciples everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. How do we do that? How do we do this? Well, there are some things that we value here at this church. Again, simple five things that we value here at this church and I hope that you can fill them and sense them over the years number one we value theology or are you being transformed by truth number two we value community are you growing in spiritual family number three we value ministry are you helping build the church Number four, we value mission. Are you learning to tell the story? 
And number five, we value devotion. Are you being motivated by love? Theology, community, ministry, mission, devotion. And our vision, are you ready? Big vision, big vision. <laughs> our vision is this. It's to become a movement of gospel-centered disciple-making churches. That's all. We just want to plant more churches that make disciples. Like, can I just say it that easily? We just would love, maybe it's one, maybe it's 50, who knows? But we would love not only just to create this thriving church, but to multiply into another one that would just make disciples. Whether it be in different parts of the Tri-Cities, Fremont, Newark, Union City, maybe the Tri-Valley, San Ramon, Dublin, Livermore. Maybe a little further. We have people here from Lathrop. We have people here from Tracy. We have people coming from Mountain House. Or maybe God's going to call you across the world or across the street. Maybe you're the next pastor. Nah. Nah, Phil, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Maybe, maybe you're just the next group of people that's going to go with somebody to help plant. Maybe God is calling you to stay here in the Bay Area despite all the tensions to leave. Maybe he's calling you to go. Jesus commissions the church to go, to make, to baptize, to teach. And finally, the one that I added in, plant. I wanna read you Acts 14. Acts is a missional book. In fact, it's called Acts, like literally the activity of the disciples and the power of the Holy Spirit, movement, flow, mission, birthing, building, Paul, Barnabas. And Acts chapter 14, verse 21 through 23. This is Paul. We're referring to Paul in this section. But it says this, when they had preached the gospel to that city, you see that? When they had preached the gospel, no, you didn't see that. Did you hear that? <laughs> when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Here it is, ready? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed to the Lord in whom they had believed. What some Bible students call this is kind of the three-pronged idea of the mission of the church. You have preaching the gospel. You have making disciples and strengthening them. And you have planting churches with elders so that these converts can be put into a community that gathers and scatters, that is encouraged, exhorted, held accountable, loved and taught and baptized. So the vision of our church, and really I think, believe and know the vision and the mission of Christ church is to go, is to make, is to teach, is to baptize and to plant and repeat until Christ comes back and we can enjoy retirement. 
And what a glorious retirement that'll be.